0: Stress all night. Take your mind off your money and focus on your life. But it don't matter all the stuff it bought. It's the way you think.
1: Get your money mind right here at Unlock Your Wealth Radio. This segment is sponsored by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at unlockyourwealthradio.com forward slash free book and click on the link to over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome, everyone. We are so glad to have you. Thanks for stopping by. I am your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagonhalls, and I am flanked by the maestro of moolah, none other than Michael Terry.
0: (coughs) Hello, folks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yay, I like it. Mixing it up. That's what we do here at Unlock Your Wealth Radio. But what else we do, more importantly, other than having a good time, is that we help you get your money mind right. And we're going to do that on today's show with the following great feature. So our investor words, we're actually going to do a comparison. I'm pretty excited about this. So uh, our moolah word is uh, from investorwords.com, and we're going to do a comparison with that. We also have an awesome guest, Sam McElroy. Roy from App Financial will be popping by, and we're going to be talking about your savings, specifically the savings of millions of Americans, 66 million of them, and how they're not. But, uh, oh, and we also have our key this week is... Uh, no seasonal exceptions. Key eight, no seasonal exceptions. So for those of you who are joining us for the first time, thanks for stopping by. We hope you gain some value out of this. Our keys to riches is our financial philosophy that I wrote that teaches you how to think like the rich and be in control of your own money. It also gives you specific techniques to create or fix your credit eliminate debt, save and invest all while transforming your current financial habits into healthy money management skills. And on last week's show, we did break the budget. And this week is no seasonal exceptions because now that you've created this healthy savings and spending plan, we don't want things like holidays, birthdays, uh, special occasions, birth announcements, funerals, things like that taking us off our mark. And how do we effectively recognize a holiday, commemorate? a special event without going broke and I have my card up philosophy but you have to listen to our other show now because the keys to riches has grown so much in popularity it's its own syndicated show and you can find it on your channel here wherever you choose to listen to unlock your wealth radio or you can visit its very own website at keys to riches.com and the keys to riches powered by unlock your wealth radio has all the keys all the time and it also has all of the resources to help you manage your money more effectively and get your money mind right, so your wealth and happiness will follow. So all you have to do is pop on over to keystoriches.com so you can get this week's installment of the Keys to Riches financial philosophy. So our moolah word of the day is going to be interest rate, but we are going to compare and contrast that with another moolah word of the day that we had previously, which was annual percentage rate or APR. So let's start first with interest rate, So interest rate is the basic rate charged on a loan. It is sometimes referred to as the note rate, mostly by lenders and will be the interest rate of record in all loan documents. Your loan payments will be based on the total amount of the loan multiplied by the interest rate plus loan principal repayment based on a required loan amortization. Now, you could potentially have an interest-only loan, so don't let the the principal repayment be an assumption that all loans function that way. So if you have an interest-only loan, your monthly payment will only be the interest and the total principal you financed will be the total due if you don't make any advanced or additional principal only payments, in addition to your interest only payments. But most loans are what they call fully amortized or they're partially amortized, which is what you are familiar with an ARM, an adjustable rate loan. And so they amortize the loan at a particular rate for a certain period of time and create the payments. So annual percentage rate is different from your interest rate. So your interest rate is what is the interest percentage you are being charged for the privilege of borrowing the loan. APR or annual percentage rate is an effective rate of the loan. And so this is after subtracting the required loan fees from the face amount of the loan. Okay. So things like origination fees, processing fees, there's all kinds of fees associated with financing alone. So APR takes into account these additional fees and factors it in to the interest rate, creating what they call an APR. Let me just state, you should never comparison shop based on APR. And I'll tell you why in a second. If you borrow money at say 10%. Actually, we should do it at 12% so I can do 1% a month. So so if you borrow money at 12% on $1,000, that 12% annually is $120, correct? If we do the math. So 10 bucks a month. All right. So that's where we get the 12%. So let's just say your fees on this $1,000 loan totaled $120. Bucks. So now we subtract that $120 bucks from the loan. So we're paying 12% of fees. So we've effectively like changed our APR. So now instead of multiplying the loan amount, times the interest rate to calculate this in order to calculate APR, our loan amount has changed. And so now we have to take the interest plus this fee and calculate backwards to come up with your effective rate or what we call APR. And the reason why APR is not a way to shop, and I know this from being in the mortgage industry and working with tons of nefarious characters, is that specifically that your um, fees can be rearranged because not all fees go into annual percentage rate. So a loan officer can manipulate your good faith estimate in such a way that the fees that are charged don't affect the APR. But you're still paying those fees, and so you want to compare fees separately from the annual interest rate of the loan. That's how you truly effectively shop. APR is this bullcrap idea that somebody in the federal government felt like it would create a basis for shopping, and it was supposed to make it easier, but it made it inherently more difficult for you as a consumer because lenders can be disingenuous and they can hide fees. And that's why you don't want to calculate fees in that fashion. So you want to break them out. So that's it for our moolah word of the day. Let's talk about our fabulous guest, Sam McElroy. He is co-founder and managing member of Ad Financial and Ad Financial Investments. Sam has always made an effort to go a step beyond your typical financial advisory firm by utilizing client-focused discovery, planning and implementation processes aimed at creating tailored solution for solutions for both businesses and individuals. In addition to traditional planning concepts, Sam's has focused on the development of practical natural consequences based approach to, cons- to customizing effective solutions on an individual basis. And that's how he comes up with your custom tailored financial plan. So, um, he's going to hear he's here joining us today to talk about why we need financial planning because some 66 million Americans have nothing saved. So, uh is that true? So, let's find out, shall we? Sam, welcome to Unlock Your Wealth Radio. It's so great to have you a part of today's show.
0: Hey, Heather, thanks for having me.
1: So, tell me a little bit uh about this uh, savings problem we're having here in America some 66 million Americans don't have anything
0: Yeah, it was a really interesting article that came out that was that was talking about how, you know, the vast majority of people almost 6 million Americans have zero emergency savings. And that even beyond the 66 million that have nothing uh, if you take it one step further and just you know ask who would have enough to cover even a, a minimal emergency, call it a couple thousand dollars, that it would be an even larger number that didn't have enough to be able to weather that. So it's it's turning into a pretty significant financial crisis uh, here in America.
1: So I'm feeling like we're channeling 2005 again, because that's when we had a negative savings rate in this country.
0: Yeah, I think you agree. I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of similarities to things that are going on, uh, both personally and from a, a global economic standpoint that are eerily starting to feel a lot like 2005, 2006 again.
1: Yes. And you know, and you know, what's interesting is we've compressed timeframes. If you think about the first SNL crisis in the eighties, you know, we had a good run before we goofed up again and made the same mistakes in the housing markets. So, um, is uh, is this savings rate specific to one age group or demographic, or is it uh, equally spread across the board?
0: <laughs> I think it's equally spread across the board. But if I had to kind of pinpoint one, I would say that we see a more profound effect with millennials these days. Um, because, you know, if we start to really dig into the problem a little bit and we think about, you know, what's going on, it's, it's really, I guess, a combination of a couple different variables. You know, it could be, A, That it's a behavioral issue, meaning that people just don't see the importance of savings. But I don't really think that's what the issue is. You know, I think it's more that, you know, people would like to save, but that money is going elsewhere. And uh, we pinpoint things like student loan debt, you know, credit card debt, uh, you know, the inability to be able to maintain inflation and, and pay for the cost of living and stuff like that. And I think that's what's really putting the pressure on the income that we have and making it more difficult for people to be able to put money away for an emergency fund or long-term savings these days.
1: It's interesting that that's your position, because in addition to not having the habit of savings, and if your parents didn't save or they didn't, if they saved in silence, meaning that they didn't teach you about money management, they might've been good at it, but they didn't show you how to manage money effectively, how to write checks, how to balance a checkbook, simple things like that. I think that we don't have the habit ingrained, but do you think that social pressures have anything to do with it? And and I'll clarify Specifically, what I'm asking, you know, um, in '92, uh, Bill Clinton said everybody deserves home ownership, and I vehemently disagree with that. And I don't believe everybody deserves home ownership. Only those who are willing and able to accept the responsibility and obligations that home ownership entails are entitled to home ownership. And so I think that that we forced people to believe that they were supposed to be homeowners. And some people are just stuck in the bonds of tenancy because of their money management skills. And I think that also by saying everybody deserves a college education and we have all of these MBAs serving us coffee as baristas at our local, (laughs) at our local Starbucks. So my thought is that, you know, has society pushed people into debt under the auspices that it's supposed to be some panacea or some sort of God given right. And, and that's why they're struggling and not saving.
0: Well, I think that there's a lot of truth left. Um, you were talking about, you know, does everybody deserve to, uh, to own a home or deserve to go to college? And I think the question isn't only does everybody deserve that, but does everybody need that? Um, I think that as a society, We have kind of promoted this idea that owning a home is better than renting and that it's a status symbol to be able to say that you own a home versus rent. Kind of the same thing with college, where it's almost a foregone conclusion that it's better to go to college because you need a college education and to be able to do all these things and and have a meaningful life. And I don't know if that's necessarily true for everybody. Uh, As a financial advisor, I see a lot of situations where people – Where not only, you know, before I even get into whether they deserve to or not, but sometimes it just doesn't make sense for them to own a home. Sometimes they're better off financially renting for a number of different reasons. And I think the same thing we're seeing is true of college, that a lot of people are really starting to consider now whether the college degree is going to really return uh, what they need to, not only to be able to service the debt that it takes to get it, but to be able to have the meaningful, satisfying job and life that they're looking for ultimately, which I think is the goal of whatever we do with our resources um, so I think definitely as a culture we're promoting habits that uh, that are leading to some of this taking on of debt which is making it harder for us to save but I think you touched on another really good point also um, that you know as we're looking at what we do with our resources it can really only go so far uh, and you do need to be willing to take on the debt that you have but it's also about what we learn Um, most of us get our initial introduction into the world of finance from our family unit. But ironically, it's not something that's commonly discussed in a lot of families. And I kind of see this dichotomy growing. You know, I I look at some clients that I have and they certainly do talk about finances. You know, I have one client in particular who who opened an account as a Christmas present last year for her eight-year-old son and, and is actually teaching them about the markets and things like that as well. And that's fantastic. But I know for a lot of families, Uh, there isn't really a discussion as far as what it means to live within your means, you know, how you manage money, how you manage credit. And it's certainly not something that's taught in schools or in college. So not only do we have these pressures that are steering us in a direction that could lead to unhealthy, uh, you know, spending habits, but we couple that with a lack of education as far as the long-term systemic effects of what that could mean. And I think we're, we're kind of in this, uh, spiraling <laughs> process where they're now feeding off of each other.
1: hmm You are listening to Sam McElroy of At Financial and At Financial Investments. This segment of Unlock Your Wealth Radio is sponsored by KeepMyID.org, the only service that actually prevents identity theft. All others are just monitoring services. Put your credit on lockdown with their special offer for Unlock Your Wealth Radio listeners. Visit UnlockYourWealthRadio.com forward slash KeepMyID and click on the link to start protecting your financial future right now. Remember to use promo code WAGS. So if that's what's going on, um, that the education is being missed in the households growing up, what do people do once they're in this pickup?
0: I think there's a couple of things to do. Um, You know, one of the things that, that gives me increasing hope is I'm seeing more and more organizations that are trying to work inside the communities to be able to promote financial literacy. Um, and I think to the extent that that type of programming can expand, uh, that will never take the place of a parent being able to sit down with a, with a child and, and teach them. But it's, it's, a, it's another resource, I guess, that people can start to look to. But the other part of it, I guess, is, is trying from a financial standpoint to be able to stop the bleeding. So I remember a study that I saw years ago, and it was basically looking at, you know, what happens to the average dollar that we earn And the the long story short, was that you know basically 75% of every dollar that we come in goes out the door either to a combination of taxes, you know federal, state, income, Social Security, Medicare, but also sales taxes, property taxes, excise taxes, so all of those things, uh, as well as interest that we're basically transferring to other financial institutions to service this debt. And what they found is that this really only left about 23% or so for paying bills, for traveling, for lifestyle, and the average person maybe only had one to 3% that was available for savings. So I feel like we as as financial advisors can't just simply look at somebody and say, well, the problem is that you need to save more, because in a lot of instances, if they could, they would be. I think what we have to do is is be able to look at where the cash is going, because if we can find ways to pay off debt, to get rid of that negative interest that they're trading to other financial institutions, and if we can find ways to reduce what we're paying in taxes, that naturally frees up more money to go not only towards lifestyle, but towards savings also. And I think it's really uh, important that we start to look for alternatives and ways to be able to free up more money in somebody's cash flow, so that we can show them how to put that away and how to save. I think the other part of it then is really looking at behaviors. Um, You know, a lot of the times when younger people are starting out with savings, we get this feeling that uh, number one, they can always start saving tomorrow and it'll be okay. So there's this idea that they can postpone it and it'll still work out. But number two, they feel like, well, if I can't really save anything significant, then what's the point? I'll just wait until I have more money. But what we try to tell people is that the most important part is to let time work for you. So start sooner rather than later, but also to establish the behavior. So even if it's a small percentage of what you make that you start saving now, the idea is that you want to get used to living off of less of your paycheck because it's easier to increase the percent that you're saving to go from not saving anything to saving something, if that kind of makes sense.
1: Oh, absolutely. It does. And, uh, what are your thoughts on, instead of focusing on saving a percentage to just create the habit to start with a dollar, put a dollar away and, and do that faithfully each and every day, just to build the habit, you know, I mean, that's, If it's about behavior change, it's got to be done in in nudges, usually, unless you have some sort of catastrophic single event learning experience that materially alters your way of doing something. And and, uh, an example I have of that is I was in a car accident making a left-hand turn, and for the longest time, I would make three right-hand turns instead of a left-hand turn just because I was so afraid of getting hit again. And then I thought, you know what, I just need to be more confident and evaluate and assess situations and make sure that I'm not stuck in the pickle that I was in with somebody right on my tail, and you know making sure that that i'm I'm doing the best I can and uh, instead of dramatically you know altering my behavior just to avoid something. And I think that when when we try to do something too radical, like okay, I'm gonna start saving ten percent. And like you do it the first day, but then the next day it comes over and that latte looks super good. And you're like, well, if I spend three bucks on this latte, I can still save seven. And then before you know it, it deteriorates because the habit wasn't in place. Would you agree that starting with something is better than just starting with a percentage?
0: Oh, wholeheartedly. Um, absolutely. I, and I, you know, another kind of key point that, that you just hit on is, and, and I'm also sorry to hear about the car accident, but I'm glad you're okay. It was when I was 17. Um, <laughs> when you were 17, okay. Yeah, and I just turned um,
1: 47. So it was like 30 years <laughs> ago. So I gave it up at about the halfway part. I did it for 15 years. Okay. And I'm like, what a waste of my life, driving three miles out of my way.
0: And yeah, I, I hear you. But you know, and this is kind of tangential to this, but we see the same phenomenon happen uh, when people are investing that people tend to be more really aggressive when things are, are fine. But once people have an accident, so to speak, or once the market crashes, then that's when they get really conservative. But it doesn't make sense. You want to kind of do what you need to do to avoid the accident in the first place uh, so, that, uh, so that you can avoid some of those negative issues that happen. But kind of going back to this idea of, of saving you know, a dollar, saving a specific dollar amount, I definitely think that that's a great way to get the behavior established and to be able to start to move forward from there. Um, the other thing that I think is important is to take broader long-term goals and break them down into clearly identified smaller goals. So anytime something is, is, uh, you know, not clearly defined, it makes it really hard to, to hold yourself accountable. So if I have this idea in my mind, that's just broad and global, like I want to save more money, then it's really difficult for me to make sure I do that. But rather than saying, okay, well, I need $100,000 in my emergency fund, if I come back and say, you know what, I want to save uh, $100 this month, or I want to have $300 saved in the next six months, if I break them down into smaller goals, it makes it easier to track, easier to manage, and it gives me more wins. And the more wins that I can kind of string together, the more momentum I have uh, in understanding that I can achieve the financial goals that I set for myself as well.
1: So it's like the flywheel effect, you know. Once you start the flywheel, it's really tough to get going at first, but once it goes, it starts, it takes on a life of its own and it, and it takes less momentum to go faster once you get it moving. Right. So, so tell us what you do differently at, at financial and at financial investments that makes, uh, your financial services firm so unique.
0: You know, I think there's two main differences that we have. Uh, the first one is most financial advisors tend to have one subset that they specialize in. So either, you know, they're an insurance guy and they primarily do insurance or an investment guy, they primarily do investments. But what we do in our practice is try to take a holistic view of the clients that we work with. And so we specialize in the integration of financial planning, risk management through insurance and wealth management through uh, through investments in a way that we try to create synergies between all of them so that they're enhancing each other rather than working in opposition to each other. And I think the other thing is, you know, a big bulk of our business is really geared towards retirement planning. Uh, and we have a very unique approach to that in which we specialize in the universe of income generating strategies in creating well-thought-out systematic distribution processes for taking pools of assets and generating income from that for retirement. And those are probably the two biggest uh, you know, items that, that differentiate us from uh, other firms that we see in the area
1: hmm. So let's just uh, let's do um, a scenario real quick um, that uh, let's just say you've got a 47 year old. We'll just, you know, kind of take, you know, some. Uh, so you got a female that's 47. She hasn't had any kids. She has a lot of like physical assets, but they wouldn't necessarily be considered investments you know? Um, but then, you know, she, maybe she's made a lot of money, but she's blown a lot too. (laughs) This is eerily sounding familiar. Uh, but she's, she's only got in cash and investable assets. Um, I mean, she, she invests in real estate, but she's only got, you know, like maybe a couple hundred thousand in cash. Like where should she be at this age and where does she need to be you know, to uh, to retire comfortably without working until she's
0: 80? <laughs> until she's 80? Well, there's a couple things to kind of consider there. Uh, the first one is, <clears throat> you know, how much is needed in retirement? Uh, I find that, that that's actually one of the biggest issues that you have to kind of get into. Um, almost universally, I'd say nine out of every 10 people that I sit down with and I ask them, you know, what their expenses look like, how much they need to to live off of. The majority of people don't really know. You know, they have a general idea of, well, you know, I got a a mortgage and, you know, I got some bills and some other stuff, but they don't really have a clear idea of, you know, what that number is that they're trying to ultimately work towards. And that's step one. So step number two is then figuring out what you already have. Uh, You know, what are you going to get from Social Security? What strategies can you utilize to maximize that? Are there any pensions that you're going to be able to draw off of? Uh, looking at real estate or any of them income generating properties where you can utilize that income for retirement or uh, depreciating properties where you can use that to offset some of the tax liabilities that you may have as well. So that becomes kind of your base, looking at your guaranteed income sources. From there, it's really a question of when would you like to retire? Uh, you know, I tell a lot of people that, you know, with 20 years, you can do almost anything. So if you're 47 and somebody's looking to retire at 67, uh, then there's a lot of room to kind of work with there. The shorter that timeline gets, then there's the more that has to be done to be able to prepare that person to be able to save. But I think the other idea then is looking at current cash flow and trying to get an idea of what current spending habits look like. You know, I'm a big believer that budgets don't really work. Uh, I think they're <laughs> a lot like diet. Nice That's where- <laughs> one of our keys. In
1: our Keys to Riches financial philosophy, we have key seven is break the budget, as a matter of fact.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Because, you know, you can start out on it but over a period of time it's just unsustainable and invariably you're gonna miss something and when you do, the whole thing kind of goes out the window. But while I'm not a big believer in budgets, I am a big believer in understanding cash flow and knowing where the money is going. Um, I think one of the other things that we often miss is we kind of reverse the order of where money goes. Um, I've noticed that if you don't get in the habit of paying yourself first, so making the savings goal a fixed, uh, part of your fixed kind of expenses, then it's harder, you know, if it falls into that discretionary spending category and it's not really being thought about until after not only the regular bills, but the, you know, going out to eat and the entertainment and the other stuff like that. And then we're trying to save what's left over. It ends up not working because we can wipe out almost any budget through discretionary spending. We just keep spending it. So we want to make sure that we move it up out of the discretionary spending into the fixed spending. So that that's getting taken care of, and what we're spending on the going out and the other stuff and the fun activities literally is the surplus that's left over, rather than money that should have been going towards another financial goal. But I think those are the biggest pieces to kind of get it moving in the in the right direction.
1: Outstanding. Well, if folks want to call you, connect with you, learn more about how you manage money, or they say that this is the guy for me, how do they get a hold of you?
0: Well, uh, the office number here is three one two seven six seven nine one six six. you can also go to at financialcom That's spelled out. Uh, A is in Apple T is in Tom financial.com. Or email us at info at at financial.com.
1: Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show today, Sam. And for more great resources as well as the linky links to all of his company website and email and phone numbers, contact information, all you have to do is visit our website at unlockyourwealthradio.com and search for Sam's show page. Thanks so much for stopping by. And uh, for those of you without a pencil, never fear, unlockyourwealthradio.com is here so you can always get his good stuff. And- and for the maestro of moolah, Michael Terry, I'm Heather Wagonhalls. Now go out and unlock your wealth today.
0: UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is produced by Heather Wagonhalls and the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com and its affiliates are copyrighted 2016 with all rights reserved. For more information on the Keys to Riches financial wellness series, please visit our website at www.unlockyourwealth.com.